But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Let us pray, Lord. We ask that you would come and speak to us through this um, passage in the book of Lamentations. In Jesus' name, amen. Great to see you this morning. Welcome back. Uh, we were on, I think, um, we were on spring break for the last week, and I think our greatest accomplishment to date, and those of you, well, some of you will understand this, is that we drove twice for 12 hours without a tear in the car, except for my own when the Doobie Brothers began to play Drift Away, and I just was so moved. As I saw the ocean, I thought, take me now, Lord. Um, it's great to have you with us. I say that's partly in jest, but um, if you are joining us for the first time in a while or uh, um, visiting, we are three weeks into the Book of Lamentations, and um, the Book of Lamentations is a unique book in the Old Testament in that it's made up of five poems, and we come to the third poem today, and it's from an anonymous author. Some think it's uh, Jeremiah. Others, uh, it's just, we doesn't say it, so let's not assume it. And, um, and the author of these poems is reflecting back to a very difficult time, a cataclysmic time in the life of the people of Israel when Babylon came under siege and was destroyed and the people were taken into exile. So as we look, and as we've said this before, and I say it again, and forgive me, part of my job is to say the obvious, is that when we look back at the Old Testament, um, the, uh, we do our very best to treat the scriptures, especially the Old Testament scriptures, the way that Jesus did. And so what I mean by that is the scriptures in the Old Testament point to a singular event in time. They either uh, talk about the promise of one who will come, or they talk about the reason why one needs to come. And the scriptures in the Old Testament point at to and lead up to a central event in history, which is the ministry, suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And so that, that's all what we keep in mind as we look at these five poems. And so what, do we, what have we learned? What has surprised us so far about Lamentations? Get those of you caught up before we launch into chapter three. The first surprise is there's, there's no sugarcoating suffering. Um, words like there, there, this will pass, don't turn up in this, uh, in these poems so far. And there's an, admit, there's an admission that you and I are not designed to suffer loss. We haven't been hardwired. Our original purpose for us is not to suffer. We were created and designed in such a way that we would only ever experience love and be able to fully receive love and fully reflect it back. And so suffering, though it's part of the human condition, is not part of our original design, and that's why it's so hard. That's why suffering is so disorientating, and that's why we're invited when we suffer into a posture of lament. 
And, and so that's the first surprise. The second surprise is the question, how do we get back? How do we get back to a place of joy if we've suffered great loss? Will it come when we find the answers to our questions of why? And here is, is that there's an, there's an expectation that we will voice our lament and that God wants us to suffer loudly or to lament loudly, to voice and give expression to what's going on in our heart. He's asking us to give it to him. So the third surprise then is that lamenting is physical, it's emotional, and it's deeply spiritual. And then fourthly, despite fleeting moments of sheer brilliance, we're weak. We're utterly weak. We are fragile, though we have moments of incredible resilience. And because of that, we need saving. And Lamentations is full of signposts that point to the need for Jesus, for his ministry, for his power. Um, there are a number of you who are therapists in the congregation, so again, I will say the obvious, there is a grief cycle. And the great thing about a grief cycle is that there are different stages, and if you're going through grief, the other thing to, that is more helpful necessarily than the stages to know is that nobody goes through it the same way. You just gotta get through it. And the, I don't know how many surprises are up to now, sixth surprise is the expectation of the scriptures is that we would be led through it. And so if you're going through a, a loss, we encourage you here at St. Bart's to find help. And we can point you in the right direction and, that would, and to find that in the three areas of physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Um, and so we come to chapter three. Chapter three is the longest poem in the book. And the voice is that of a lonely man. But it's not a lonely man speaking about his individual experience. It's about a man who is representing and grieving and expressing all of that for the entire community, for the whole people. And we see that the posture of the poem has changed. Posture is important, isn't it? It is. You know, it's, it's powerful when we kneel, it's powerful when we stand, powerful when we sit. And if you were like me growing up, maybe you were told at times to sit up more better, right? Sit up straight. You know, when you stand, you know, stand like, like this, all that kind of stuff. So posture is important. And where Chris left us last week is that we see that in Lamentations 2, the posture of lament is full of exuberance. It's loud. It's a picture of someone who's pouring out their heart like water before the presence of the Lord, lifting up their hands to him, pouring out themselves so strong that they're in danger of fainting. So it's exuberance. This is, we sometimes have an image of what piety looks like. And it's not always correct. This is a very different type of uh, faith response. And then in chapter three, the, the um, posture changes to sitting, to sitting and waiting, All right? So you've processed it, you've got it out of your system, and as more comes up, you get it out again. And then for those of us who've gone through great loss, you know there comes a moment where you've said it all, you've, your, your heart is empty, and now you sit 
And it's in the sitting that we find uh, Lamentations chapter 3. Let me read these verses to you. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. So this poem is about enduring suffering that transforms into experiencing faithfulness. So I'm going to invite Rachel to come up, and she's just going to share a bit about what it looks like in her experience. She knows all, uh, you know, we've been married now 18 years through the good, the bad, and the, um, you know, the difficult. And uh, she's just going to illustrate what that change of posture in suffering and lament looks like. Um, we, we were in the car, as Dave said, for a long time yesterday, and I don't know what you talk about when you're on a road trip, but we talk about lament, so welcome to our world. Um, this is fresh off our, our, our mind. I met an amazing woman last week who, um, she, she, ha she had two twins, born, stillborn. And she set up um, an incredible um, support group for people who, for women who've lost babies. And so this, we, I was sharing some of our story. And um, we, a couple years ago, um, I was rushed to the um, hospital and had an ectopic pregnancy. And um, we, very, very painful um, and a very difficult time. And kind of after the surgery and, and after kind of coming back from the hospital, I really felt um, a favor from the Lord and permission from God to go slow. Now, this is very different to how I'd grieved before. My dad had passed away about 14 years ago, and um, we were in London, big ministry, busy. I was full-time teaching, um, it w and it was a busy, busy time. So, you know, you just kind of push through, right? You just push through. And, um, and you know, it just caught up with me later on. <laughs> this time, I really felt the Lord say, go slow go slow. So I had arranged, Toby was very small, I had arranged for lots of different people um, who were all saints to come and take Toby out for a couple of hours in the morning whilst I was physically recovering from the surgery. And, um, and at the time, we were given tons of flowers, beautiful flowers, which we loved. Really, uh, Dave was sneezed a lot, <laughs> but you know, like help him process. Um, so anyway, we had all these flowers, and these flowers were dying, and um, I just, it just, yeah, I was like, what am I going to do with all these dead flowers? I'm a creative, so um, I thought, well, hang on, I've got a ton of antique fabrics and um, all these different materials. Why don't we dye them with the flowers that we were given? You know, so um, the process started, and uh, my middle son Tom particularly helped. Um, and we would, Dave would come home from work, and there'll be like four pots on the on the stove of 
dead flowers and berries and material and just kind of stirring. I felt like a witch almost, stirring a cauldron and stirring and stirring this antique fabric that was no longer useful or any good, really, um, with holes in, just stirring and stirring this fabric. And I'd weep and I'd cry and the kids saw it all, <laughs> saw it all, and we would hang up these pieces of fabric and place them to dry. And then they dried. And um, I started taking them and, and, and stitching them together and just this beautiful, beautiful kind of different pinks and yellows would come. And I had this image in my head of a bird. And the phrase that kept coming back was the one that got away. The one that got away. And so I created this piece and I cut the fabrics and stitched them together to be a bird kind of in the, in the tree and, and stitched the words, the one that got away. The one that got away. And, you know, it, and then kind of was started physically healing and, and, and then kind of carried on with life. And we've got that piece in our living room. I've got other pieces at the studio and in our bedroom from, from that time. The reason, why do I share this? Because as a foreigner with a funny accent, I think I allowed myself permission because I wasn't in my own culture. I think because I wasn't surrounded by the British stiff upper lip, that you just keep going. I was away from that and I felt the Lord's permission to Lament. Lament is the process. Lament is the, is the expression of our grief. And I just want to share that with you to say we are firstly members of the kingdom of God. And in this, this is a treasure we've been given that exceeds our culture. It exceeds the expectations of what your life should look like and how you control your emotions and things like that. And so, you know, as we were chatting yesterday, the heart is that as a, a people who we know what's going on in our hearts, that to, not, to let the kingdom of God, the treasures of God come above what our culture tells us of how to express our emotions. Why? Because Isaiah 61, and I know Dave's going to share a bit more about this, the great exchange. Unless you know, and you can put a name on despair, you can't exchange it for that garment of praise. So as we are in this season, the great exchange will come. It will come. And for some of us, that great exchange will be in heaven. 
And for others, we'll get tastes of that great exchange of, of the, the dancing instead of mourning, the oil of gladness. It's coming, friends. That's the direction we're going in. That's the only option for us, no matter what comes along. That's our, that's our direction. But if you don't put a name on some of these feelings, then you're not, it's going to be harder to accept the exchange. And um, I know from my time um, in, in London and just processing, I had spikes, edges, elbows of all this stuff that I just poked down. And so let's, in this time of, of coming up to Easter, examine your spikes, your elbows, your edges, how you react to things. Is there something you need to lament? Have you missed a treasure? Have you missed a treasure? Because we're getting ready for the great exchange. Thank you, Rach. Um, what is this great exchange? It's where we come to you. So you might be lamenting the, the loss of a loved one. You might be lamenting the end of a relationship, a sudden reversal of your health, a sudden reversal of your um, circumstances. You might be lamenting something that you feel isn't as it should be in the community. You might be lamenting um, any number of things. And that's, that's okay. And, um, and what we find is, is that as Rachel was speaking, as we come to this third poem, we see that there's a sudden change in direction. So the, the poet up to this point has gotten all of the stuff. He's been voicing all kinds of things very poetically and very figuratively. And then we get to verse 21 of chapter 3, and we, we see that uh, suddenly the voice of hope comes in. <clears throat> Pardon me. Verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. It's a link back to Exodus 34, a very powerful movement in the story of Moses when the Lord moves before Moses and makes his goodness known to him. So this idea of verse 21, but I, this I call to mind, isn't necessarily a nostalgic remembrance of the good old days, but it's a very intentional calling to mind in the past of when God has moved in your life. And maybe not in your life, but in the life of the community. Then we move on, verse third, uh, 22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. God's steadfast love is a very particular definition of what this action looks like. It isn't necessarily what we would come to think of right away. This, this steadfast love is a particular reference to the benevolence, the benevolent action of a loving father who takes action on his children's behalf because I love them with a never-ending heart, a never-ending love, I will act on their behalf. 
It's also known as compassion, a type of love and a type of mercy that goes the second mile, that does everything possible so that the child does not face the full force of the consequences for their actions. It's the idea of a benevolent father who gets in the way of consequences and makes provision for restoration. God is willing to begin anew with those who turn to him and take up a posture of receiving from him. The Christian journey is a continuous decision to start again. Verse 23, new every morning. This is like the famous verse of Lamentations because finally it's a glimmer of hope that his steadfast love, his mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So eloquently put, he just never runs out of love. He never runs out of that motivation to act with benevolence on behalf of his children. And then we come to verse 24. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Um, it's in my nature, and I would dare presume in yours, to ask the question of why. When we suffer, we, the question why is always there. And in my experience, and in the experience of the church and those who've gone before us, we will ask why all over and over and over again. And though we ask why, the Lord often doesn't give us the answer. Instead, he meets our questions. He meets our pain with his peace. Why? Because the answer won't help. But he gives of himself in those places of difficulty. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke records that as he's praying, if it's possible, Lord, for this cup to pass from my lips, then he says, but your will be done. As he prays so hard that he bleeds. What happens at the end? The Lord sends an angel to minister to him. The Lord gives of himself. And the Lord, for those of us for all of us, when we grieve, when we lament, what he's looking to do is step into those places of grief and lament and to give of himself. So those places broken, those places desolate, become the places of encounter so that everything can be made beautiful in its right time. He steps in <clears throat> and he says, I'll be here with you. And we know that he is comfortable entering into our places of suffering because of the suffering that he endured for our sake. And so you see here, as we go through this poem, there are echoes to Isaiah and the suffering servant. There are echoes of the Psalms of Lament. There are echoes of the book of Job. And then we come to verse 25 and it says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him to the soul who seeks him. Someone once said, hurry up and grieve, we've got ministry to do. Well, no one ever says that. Instead, they expect you to keep performing, to keep doing, because we got stuff to do. We got an institution to run, you know? So get over it, let's get going. 
which, you know, you just can't do. You just got to get through it. And he, we get through it because, A, he looks to lead us. He is good. He's a benevolent father. He's a benevolent God who out of goodness uses everything at his disposal to come to us. His goodness isn't passive. It doesn't require a special ask. It requires us to wait on him, to wait quietly in verse 26, patiently for him. And then we see this answered in the prophet Isaiah. And I'm going to say this as I close. It speaks of the ministry of the one who will come that all of Lamentations is pointing to, which is the ministry of Jesus, the death, of the suffering of Jesus. And he says this, um, that he will come when the Messiah comes. He will proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, <clears throat> to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress. In that place of mourning where you would throw ash on your head, Jesus steps in, helps you, leads you through the valley of the shadow of death so that instead of mourning, you come to a place of beauty. C.S. Lewis, quoting Thomas Aquinas, says that when we come to heaven, the scars that we have endured on earth will still be on our bodies because those scars will tell the great story of the never-ending love of God that have, that, have, that have taken, his love has taken the pain so out of our suffering that they become badges of glory. And then it goes on that though, instead of mourning the garment of praise, um, that the people that the Messiah meets with will be the ones who will rebuild the ancient ruins, the former devastations. They will repair the ruined cities. Strangers will stand and tend your flock. Foreigners will be your plowman and vine dresser. But you will be called the priests of the Lord. After people come through suffering, it's, it's very much common for them to ask a, a leader of the church about ordination in some way. And that's normal because you've come through suffering, you've met with God, and suddenly you realize, I might have something to give, like the woman that Rachel mentioned, who years after suffering the loss of stillborn twins created a, a, a way in the church for people to meet with him. That's... That's the exchange. Now, do we ordain them all? No, but we say, let's go. Because sometimes positional authority in the church is a hindrance. But the vision is of a, uh, of a nation of priests, of a church that is all doing ministry for the sake of him. So practically speaking, Friday night, we are holding another prayer and praise evening called Deeper, where we're gonna create space for people, for you, if it would be a help to you to come and lament. We're also gonna pray. We're also gonna pray for the situation in the Ukraine. And we're gonna worship God because his love never fails. And because even when we don't know what's going on, the best thing to do is to keep our eyes on him because he loves us.
So if you're in a place of grief and lament, you're in good company. Lent is about being present and taking a posture to receive from him. And for some of us, that means going slow and doing the work of grief. Some of us are going through difficulty right now and it's live and it's difficult and we're filled with the questions why and I wanna encourage you to keep asking those questions why. I wanna wanna encourage you to be exuberant in what you're going through and expressing that to the Lord because he wants it. Some of us who aren't going through that stuff just need patience and you need to hear the words that just when you pray for people going through difficulty, don't make them hurt you. Just be gracious, be patient. Because if you're not there, a time will come when we will all be there. Because suffering and loss is not in our nature. We were not designed for this. But Jesus came into the world to suffer that all that we've suffered might be redeemed. Shall we stand? Let's pray. Lord, we ask now that you would come by your spirit. For those of us going through difficulty, going through suffering, going through deep lament, we join with them and we pray for them, even in our midst, that they would meet with you, that you, Jesus, would be their portion. We ask, Lord, for those in need of help and of your benevolent action, we ask, Lord, that, what, that you would move swiftly. For those of us in grief, Come, Lord Jesus, meet with us. And we thank you for all those who work in the areas of health and wellness. And even now, Lord, we pray for the many counselors in our congregation and therapists and ask that you would bless them and use them to further your ministry of healing. And Lord, as we journey through Lent towards your Resurrection, come and lead us and meet us, we pray. Amen.